Hi, this is Sean Fenske, Editor-in-Chief of Medical Product Outsourcing, back once again for another episode of Mike on MedTech, a part of the MedTech Matters channel. Joining me as always, Mike Drews, President of Vascular Sciences. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm well. Thank you, Sean. Great. So uh, recently, as, as some of you may have seen, the, the FDA has put out a flurry of guidances on a, on a variety of, of items. So uh, we decided to delve into, into one of those, which was a, uh, uh, regarding the Safer Technologies Program, or as some of you may have known, it is STEP. Um, so, Mike, let's, let's get you know, right into it. Can you, can you just give a, an explanation of what the Safer Technologies Program is? Yeah, absolutely, Sean, and thanks again for the opportunity to chat with you about this uh, very important topic. But before we get specifically into the STEP program details, I should point out that, yes, you are correct, FDA has uh, issued a variety of guidances, uh, both draft as well as final, in the the last uh, couple of weeks and months. But most of them are really nothing more than what we've been doing already in the past. The STEP program, as we'll discuss, I think is an exception rather than, uh, rather than the rule in the sense that it is a truly new program. Right. In essence, the Safer Technologies Program for Medical Devices, now being referred to as STEP, is a program that was started in part by suggestions by people, from people like me to the FDA um, that would allow certain kinds of medical devices as well as medical device-led combination products that are reasonably expected to have a to, to, to significantly improve the safety of a currently available device or treatment or diagnostic that targets an underlying disease or condition um, for diseases that are less serious than those that are eligible for the Breakthrough Devices Program or the BDP. So it's sort of a, a complement to the BDP program, which you and I have talked about in the past, only the difference here is that it focuses on improvements in safety, not efficacy. Does that make sense, Sean? I think so. So just to clarify, in terms of uh, the, the term safety, are you referring to uh, when used in clinical practice within the, the, you know, within the healthcare environment? Is it, is it safer for the operator or the physician, or is it safer for the patient in some way? Well, that's a good question. The general connotation when it comes to safety in the, in the FDA's perspective is safety with regard to the patient. But you are right, Sean. There are certain cases where safety of the user the um, the surgeon or the physician uh, is is included under that safety umbrella as well. But again, the point of the the safer technologies program or step is focusing on devices that already exist and coming out with a new version of that kind of a device that doesn't necessarily improve the efficacy, but instead it improves the safety. That's the differentiating factor compared to the BDP. The BDP, the emphasis is on, uh, on the efficacy, or in many cases, it's a, it's a breakthrough technology, as the, as the name implies, for more severe, more significant uh, diseases, injuries, and conditions. But the, but the STEP program is, is a different, it's a totally different approach. Okay, so is, so is that the only difference between 
the STEP program and the breakthrough designation program? Are there any other differences? Well, that's the, the fundamental difference. The reason why we have the, the, now the, the STEP program, which is what we'll talk about, um, is just literally in the process of being formed. It hasn't even quite started yet. Um, but that's the principal difference. We'll talk about the mechanics of the program is exactly the same as the BDP program. Uh, one other thing that I would point out and as we uh, start to peel back the onion of this particular topic, Sean, is that um, in the, in the um, criteria for the STEP program, similar to the BDP program, it does not include prevention of disease. It only includes treatment or diagnosis of a disease, injury, or condition. In my opinion, that is a huge problem. That is a huge mistake because on the BDP side, remember the STEP program is new, so I have a couple of products that were in the process of getting STEP submissions being ready to send to the FDA, but nothing has been submitted yet because they're not, they're not taking those yet. But mm-hmm. on the BDP side, which as you know, Sean, I do have a lot of experience. I've had, in fact, the only BDP device that I've been involved with that was not successful, it was rejected by FDA purely for administrative reasons. In other words, purely because it prevented a problem as opposed to diagnosing or treating a problem, even though every single person on the review team at FDA agreed that it was a breakthrough technology, even though everybody else agreed that it ticked through all of the other boxes, and even though they all also agreed when I said, would would you agree that if we prevent a problem, then a diagnosis or a treatment for that same problem is a moot point? They said yes but it was still rejected on the matter of policy because that particular word prevention was not included in BDP, nor is it included in STEP. And unfortunately, Sean, and it pains me to say this about our industry and about our, my profession, but this is exactly what gives FDA and regulation a bad name, and that is when people take such a literal interpretation of regulation. But I don't, I don't want to get too off on, on, on that tangent, Sean. I'm just simply bringing it up that, in my opinion, I think it's, a, at the very least, it's an oversight, uh, and it's something that we should, be, should have corrected. I know also from personal experience that there are a few other uh, of my regulatory colleagues who have had BDP devices rejected for exactly the same reason, that is, right. that it prevents a problem rather than diagnoses or treats one. Yeah, that's a, that's a rabbit hole we may need to explore at a, at a later time. Um, but let's get let's get back to step like you like you indicated. Um, so so similarly to to BDP because there does seem to be similarities there. Uh, step is not a regulatory pathway on its own, correct? Yes, absolutely correct. Neither the BDP nor the step are regulatory pathways to market. There are a number of people that ask me, can I do this in lieu of a 510K or in lieu of a de novo or PMA or something else? And the, absolute, the answer is absolutely not. It's, it's in addition to, it's complementary to the 510K or de novo or whatever your pathway to market is. Uh, the way I like to describe the BDP program, Sean, and similarly now with the step is imagine you go into a grocery store to the deli counter, for example, and everybody takes a number and you're waiting for your turn to be served. And then all of a sudden somebody comes in wearing a a great big red hat 
and they go to the front of the line. Getting a BDP designation, or in this case, getting a step designation, does not decrease your regulatory burden. That is, it does not decrease the amount of work that you have to do in terms of testing or anything else to get your device onto the market. What it does do, at least in theory, is that it allows FDA to treat you as a priority to go to the head of the line, so to speak, so that you get through the approval process, not necessarily faster, but in a more efficient way. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty clear. Um, so, so can you go over a little bit of, you know, we heard about, you know, the, the fact that this is uh, designating uh, for a safer product or being implemented for a safer product. Can you, can you explain a little more on the criteria for eligibility into the, into the program? Sure. So one of the requirements is that we have, um, uh, we establish that we have a reasonable expectation to significantly improve the safety of an existing medical device, as I said before. And keep in mind, Sean, that this is a little bit tricky because we don't necessarily have all the data to, to show that it has improved safety. But the regulation says that we have to have a reasonable um, degree of, of confidence that we will. Okay. Specifically with regard to the, to the criteria for STEP, it's really very simple. There's only two criteria. First okay. of all, the, uh, the first criteria is the device should not be eligible for a BDP because of the less severe nature of the disease or the condition, um, as, as I said before. Now, in my opinion, that is written very, very poorly, if not flat out badly, and here's why because what about the opportunity of taking a high-risk device, a class three, a PMA device, and not improving or changing the efficacy, but instead improving the safety, making it safer? Right. According to the way that the step eligibility is written right now, and again, this is a new program, there's no precedent on this yet, but for those taking a literal interpretation of the regulation, as I talked about earlier, it's gonna be very, very difficult, maybe impossible, to get class three high-risk kinds of devices for, for very serious diseases uh, into the STEP program. So I think that's another thing that uh, we, we really need to take a look at in, uh, in improving this, this brand new program. So that's criteria number one. Criteria number two is the device should be reasonably expected to significantly approve, improve the benefit-risk profile of a treatment or a diagnostic device through a substantial safety innovation. And it can be done in one of the following four ways, Sean. One is we can have a device that reduces the, the occurrence of known ser serious adverse events, or SAEs. So we show that we have a reduction in SAEs. Right. The second criteria is, and this is just one of the four, you don't have to meet all of these four. The second criteria is we have a reduction in the occurrence of known device failure modes so we're making the device safer by, by making it less common to fail. Right. The third criteria is a reduction in the occurrence of known user-related hazards or use errors. And, Sean, we've talked about this several times before. This smacks directly to human factors or, or usability uh, of the device. Right. So if we can reduce the problems due to usability, the, um, the infusion pump, disaster that we had about eight years ago or so would be a perfect example. 
And then finally, the fourth possible criteria is an improvement in the safety, not of the of our device, but our device improves the safety of another device or intervention or surgical procedure or something like that. So bottom line, we have to show that our device will reduce the number of either serious adverse events, reduce the number of device failure modes, reduce the number of user-related uh, hazards or use errors, or make some other device or procedure safer. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's pretty clear, clear cut, I think. Um, now, you, earlier you mentioned the, the mechanics of the STEP program. Can you kind of give an overview of what, what's involved there? Absolutely. The mechanics are very, very similar. To use a regulatory pun, Sean, I would say the mechanics of the STEP program are substantially equivalent to the BDP program. It's, uh, and you, you, you chuckle, Sean, so you appreciate it, and hopefully our audience does as well, my not-so-subtle use of humor here. So just like the BDP, the STEP program mechanistically is arranged in two phases. If we want to apply for uh, STEP designation, we prepare a STEP pre-sub, and just like the BDP, the focus of that pre-sub is extremely limited. We can only have one meaning objective, and that is uh, have we demonstrated that our new device meets the STEP criteria? In other words, it reduces serious adverse events or device failure modes or something like that. That's step one. And then step two is to follow that up, if you want, uh, with a uh, with a with a pre sub meeting, um, uh, a traditional pre sub meeting, where uh, you would be able to discuss anything that you want the uh, the the regulatory pathway to market, 510k versus de novo, for example, the testing matrix, the clinical trial that you're going to do or not do, and why. So they're following the same model as the as the BDP. Now, in my opinion, that's also I don't want to say a, a, a mistake, Sean, but it makes the process much more inefficient because there's no reason why, just like the BDP, we couldn't combine the step pre-sub objective with the other pre-sub objectives all into one. Right. In other words, right now what FDA recommends, and I've done this many times, is you have to go for step designation. Whether or not you get the step designation, the next step after that is to follow up with a traditional pre-sub. I just think that it, 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 it makes the, the process more inefficient, and we could greatly streamline it if we can put those two things together. So regardless of whether you get your step designation or not, I almost always recommend to companies to follow up with a, a th traditional pre-sub. The difference right. being, of course, if you get that step designation, it, it's like wearing the big red hat. You go to the front of the line. Right. Some, somewhere a lot, a lot of companies would like to be. Um, yeah. So, so you mentioned that the FDA is currently not taking uh, step uh, applications. Is there a, a timeline in place or is there an anticipated uh, launch date you know, for, for the program? As far as I know, Sean, there's not an anticipated launch date. Uh, according to what has been put out by FDA publicly, uh, FDA said they may need as many as 60 days to, to implement to actually begin the program. This was as of a few weeks ago. 
I'm cautiously optimistic that the program should go into effect in November. I would like to see it go into effect by Thanksgiving, if not before. I think even our U.S. government should be able to get something like this started uh, without, you know, too much more delay. One thing that FDA has also said that the audience should be aware of is they will not accept requests for the STEP program until the program obviously has started. Um, right. However, I have... <clears throat> Pardon me. I have two companies right now where uh, where we have already started putting together the step pre sub, and I have a third company that is uh, is about to start. So there's no no reason whatsoever that companies can't be proactive, and if they have a device that they think that meets this step criteria, they can start putting their step pre sub together such that. As soon as FDA announces the program has started, then, you know, like the next day, they can submit it to the agency. Right. They're ready to go. Great. Absolutely. So so now we've seen, you know, we've already discussed BDP, and we mentioned it a bit today. Now we're seeing STEP. Um, you know, the, the history of, of our industry, uh, some would say, unfortunately, others look at it as a, as a good thing, but there's a, there's a history of incremental innovation. I mean, that's a term that's been used in the past. Um, is, is our, our programs like BDP and, and now STEP, uh, part of an effort by the FDA to kind of encourage, uh, get away from that, that, that incremental innovation, uh, uh, you know, system and, and kind of really get some, some true innovation happening in the industry? I think that's probably one of many motivations for FDA creating this, this program. Uh, you know, let's, let's be honest, Sean, as you and I have talked about in the past, there are a number of devices that are nothing more than me-toos, um, you know, basically copies of, of uh, devices that we already have. And, you know, Programs like the STEP program that we're talking about now, the BD program, BDP program that we've talked about in the past, and all of the, the precursors to these programs, these, you know, these are programs that are designed to make devices either better, that is more, um, more uh, effective, or in this particular case, safer. So, yeah, I think that's a, a good thing. And companies that are willing to do that should, be, should have incentives uh, to, to do that, um, which is, I think, you know, one of many reasons why FDA is, is, has this program now. Right. Um, and and uh, before, before we wrap up, I know in the interest of, of uh, helping the FDA communicate uh, better with the industry. Uh, I understand they have a, a pair of webinars on the STEP program to, to help explain it. Uh, can you kind of give some insight or, uh, or some details on the, the two programs and perhaps why there are two webcasts, if you're, if you're aware of that reason? Yeah, so, so uh, FDA is going to be uh, hosting a webinar in November on the STEP program, what you and I are talking about today. Just for, uh, for you know, of note for your audience, Sean, uh, people should know that, that we're talking about this program uh, a month prior to that particular webinar uh, being, being conducted. And the reason why I mention that, quite frankly, is that there are many, many people in the regulatory world who are very happy uh, going out and doing webinars and podcasts on topics that FDA has already put out all their information on. 
And so they're quite frankly doing nothing more than reiterating or regurgitating what FDA has already said. I don't like to do that. I like to talk about things, you know, while they're happening, or in this particular case, the program has not even gone into effect yet. So, you know, a little bit of kudos to me for, for being ahead of the, that curve. Um, but that's, that's going to be happening in, in November, and uh, we can provide a link on the website for those that are interested. By the way, uh, I certainly encourage people to watch that webinar, but like all of the FDA webinars, they're about as exciting to watch as, 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 as watching paint dry, <laughs> because quite frankly, and, and I mean that uh, uh, not just facetiously, son, but also seriously, FDA's job, if you remember my, my poker metaphor, um, this is like you know a poker game, um, FDA's job is to tell us the rules of the game. It is not FDA's job to tell us how to win the game. In the discussions that you and I have, you know, I like to talk about uh, how to win the game. So that's not a, not necessarily a, as much about the rules or the tactics, but about the strategy. So, so one webinar on this particular program is November. The other webinar that you alluded to, Sean, and I'm only going to point it out for um, because it sounds so similar. They're doing another webinar the next day on the new safety and performance-based pathways to market, specifically the new version of the 510K. And the only reason why I point it out is it's not, it's not directly related to the STEP program, but it is uh, got a very similar name in it, uh, in fact, the day after. So we perhaps can put a link up to that webinar as well, just for no other reason than to prevent the audience from getting confused. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's, uh, certainly want to avoid that. <laughs> what? Perhaps before we end, Sean, I can share with you one example um, of a kind of a device that would be, I think, very eligible for the uh, the, the STEP program. I think there are there are a number of devices, but um, if you have a device, for example, um, that is designed to prevent um, uh, catheters, indwelling catheters, or needles, or something like that, right. from being from being dislodged from the patient because if it becomes dislodged, the patient could, could bleed out or suffer from some other, some other significant adverse event. That's not improving the efficacy of that device, because after right. all, the catheter or the needle is performing the same. It is, performing the, it, it, sorry, it is improving the safety of the device. And in this particular case, if we showed that it decreased the number of serious adverse events, which remember, as we talked about before, Sean, is one of the four criteria that we have to meet, <laughs> then that's the perfect kind of device that would, con that would uh, be eligible for this kind of uh, uh, designation, the step designation. Or similarly, I mentioned the infusion pump problems. If we, um, if we have a device that doesn't improve the efficacy of an infusion pump, but instead improves the safety, especially if we can show that it decreases the number of known use-related hazards or users' errors. As you probably know, Sean, in the area of infusion pumps, there are a ton and ton of user areas, and this is, in fact, that's what has led to all of the usability testing requirements. So um, if we can show that our particular technology reduces the number of user errors of infusion pumps, then this would be another kind of a device that would be a perfect candidate, in my opinion, for the STEP designation. Those are just a couple of examples, Sean. I can give you a litany of others. Right, no, and, and examples are, are always helpful, and I think the, the needle or the catheter uh, example really does a good job of illustrating 
the point of this program. So that's, that's definitely appreciated. Um, so unfortunately, that's all the time we have today for, for this episode of Mike on MedTech. I'd like to thank Mike, as always, for joining us and, and educating us on this uh, uh, new FDA program. Uh, next time, apparently, Mike will be uh, letting us know how to win at Blackjack. So that should be a, a fantastic uh, uh, webcast, but, uh, or I'm sorry, podcast. Um, but until next time, we'll, have a, we'll a, certainly have another regulatory-related topic. But until then, this has been Sean Fenske for Medical Product Outsourcing. Thanks for listening.